a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. This study is entitled, God's People. Who were they? What were they commanded? How does this apply to the church today? We welcome you each Lord's Day or to subscribe so that you may have these questions answered from the book of Deuteronomy. I want to begin this morning with a brief discussion as we are studying the law again. We've spent some time in the law. We've spent time on the Ten Commandments. We've spent time on um, in Deuteronomy uh, before. Now we're coming again to Deuteronomy and, and discussing the law. But in the law, what we're going to notice and may already have noticed as you're reading in this, we might ask ourselves, what is the application? And so just by way of teaching, I want to explain to us some of the way the law has been viewed by the church. And that is that we see a sort of division in the law. There's what we see in the moral law which is expressed in the Ten Commandments, it can be pretty readily applied to the church today and in any and every age. It's the law that God seems to have written on the hearts of all men, according to Romans 2, uh, even on Adam, under that covenant of works where he failed and rebelled, rebelled against God. So there's a moral law at work that has a pretty direct application in showing God's high standard of morality, uh, of justice, and of purity in, in thought and conscience and deed. There are other laws that pertain to the sacrificial system. We might call these the ceremonial laws. We have moral laws that has to do with our character. Those ceremonial laws is how God regulates the worship of God by His people. And all of these, when we study them, we can't help but see the way that they foreshadow Christ. The way that Christ fulfilled this sacrificial system. The way that the Son indeed was a sacrifice for our sins. And so they're useful to us while they're not binding to us. Where we're, we're no longer required to sacrifice rams and bullocks. And we even see expressed to us in the Old Testament that... The blood of bulls and rams God doesn't desire, but the broken and contrite heart. And so in Christ, we see that fulfillment. And yet we benefit in understanding Christ all the better when we study those ceremonial laws. Now, there are other laws that are not really having so much to do with the ceremony or the ritual sacrifice. They're not inherently about our moral character before God, but they're known as uh, civil or judicial laws. These are laws that would govern the people of God as a nation. Uh, they would govern all of what they would do. They would establish for them dietary restrictions, as we'll read today, sort of building codes and, and all sorts of things. Now, because we don't see these perfectly applied or displayed uh, in any nation, 
uh, particular nation any longer. Uh, the, even the nation state Israel doesn't abide by these strictly. Uh, and, and even as they were abolished as a nation, even within biblical times, some of these went away. They were unable to practice some of these things. But what we see through the course of history and through the course of scriptures, we're no longer just a, a nation under God. We are a people that fills the earth. We're, we're, we're a kingdom, uh, a people with a, a citizenship of another land, and we're ruled by various governments throughout the world. And so sadly, that's left some of these commands in Scripture to just not be preached or to be skimmed over or not applied. And the reality is, is we can look to these the same as we do the rest of the law to see the way that God has applied His moral law in the governing of a, of a nation of His people. Now we are His people. And, and we want to glean from those and find the usefulness in the way that that's going to maybe at times apply this moral law or the way that we can see just general truths expressed in them. And so keep in mind, we're not preaching that, that we must adhere diligently, that we can't any longer eat uh, our rabbits or our catfish. That would be detrimental to our society. But for us in Hancock County, but... Uh, the reality is there is something we can learn from these. And so we are reading of, of certain ritual that we see and of dietary restriction, but we want to glean from that. And so don't, don't tune out, but let's see how all of God's Word is useful for the teaching, correction, reproof, and training in righteousness. And so I'll be reading from the first 21 verses of chapter 14, I welcome you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. You are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. Thou shalt not eat of any abominable thing. These are the beasts which ye shall eat, the ox, the sheep, and the goat, the hart, and the roebuck, and the fallow deer, and the wild goat, and the pygarg, and the wild ox, and the camois, and every beast that parteth the hoof and cleaveth the cleft into the claws, and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that ye shall eat. Nevertheless, these ye shall not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the cloven hoof, as the camel, and the hare, and the coney, for they chew the cud, but divide not the hoof. Therefore they are unclean unto you. And the swine, because it divideth a hoof, yet cheweth not the cud, it's unclean unto you. Ye shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their dead carcass. These ye shall eat of all that are in the waters. All that hath fins and scales shall ye eat. And whatsoever hath not fins and scales, ye may not eat. It is unclean unto you. Of all clean birds ye shall eat, 
But these are they which ye shall not eat, the eagle, and the ossifrage, and the osprey, the gleed, and the kite, and the vulture after its kind, and every raven after its kind, and the owl, and the nighthawk, and the cuckoo, and the hawk after its kind, the little owl, the great owl, and the swan, and the pelican, and the gear eagle, and the cormorant, and the stork, and the heron after her kind, and the lopping, and the bat. And every creeping thing that flieth is unclean unto you, and ye shall not, and they shall not be eaten. But of all the clean fowls ye may eat. Ye shall not eat of anything that, that, that dieth of itself. Thou shalt give it unto the stranger that's in thy gates, that he may eat it. Or thou mayest sell it unto an alien, for thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. Heavenly Father, we ask that you open this word to us. Lord, that we don't dismiss these things as unprofitable for your people. And Lord, that we don't make of this law something rigorous or legalistic that would despise the gospel. Father, we pray that in these words that we would learn how we are called to be a peculiar people. Father, that you would be with us and equip us this morning to evaluate ourselves, to evaluate our practices. Lord, to judge the things of the world and to see what ought not to be. Lord, that you would do all these things for our good. And teach us of all that you've commanded, Lord, that we might uh, profit by your word. And so, Lord, be with me as we go through this study. Lord, that in all of these things, we would glorify you through your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. This is not a passage we all the time hear preached. Think about what not to eat, what to eat, uh, how to behave, how to conduct our funerals or, or whatever. But um, we can note uh, all sorts of things. Uh, we may even see some differences when we realize this is the second giving of the law. But we notice some freedoms from where the law was expressed earlier in Leviticus, now as the people of God are being prepared to enter into the promised land, God wants to make sure uh, that He characterizes His people rightly, that He does give them increase and He gives them fruitfulness and, and actually great freedom. He also gives to them discipline and restriction. And so we do well to spend a little time on texts like these. But whenever we enter into this discussion of what the people are to do and ought not to do, it's built off of the character of God's people, who He makes them to be. He, he prefaces this teaching with this, that you're the children of the Lord your God. And He tells them that the Lord has chosen you. and You're to be a peculiar people above all the nations. 
And so we're not taking them in direct order. We see that really the nature of this discussion has everything to do with the way in which the people of God are a chosen people. They are an adopted people. And they are a sanctified people. So when we think of that with what it means for God to have made us a people, to, to have called us His own. When we discuss freedom and we, we think of our freedoms, what it doesn't mean is that we're free from God. In discussion, I've sometimes said this, there's no such thing as an absolute freedom. Everything has consequence. Everything comes under authority of some kind. And ultimately, we know there's an authority of God. And for us, it's a joyful thing to realize that it's a very special thing for us to come under the authority of God as His people. We belong not to ourselves, but to a holy God. This is important. Whenever he begins here and he says this in the beginning of chapter 14, you should not cut yourself or make any baldness on your head or between your eyes. Is relating to the dead, a practice of mourning. Now what the people that would have heard this and, and the people of Israel, what they would have related and understood this as they looked upon their surrounding culture is a lot of pagan practice and a lot of superstition. A lot of, of practice where we would mourn and become overcome with this uh, oppressive conscious of death that we would shave ourselves bald, we would cut our beard or half our beard or depending on what the, the nature of the situation was that we would cut, they, they would cut themselves uh, for the dead and they would put markings on them uh, that, that would reflect the deceased loved one or the lineage or, the, or, or some other thing. And really what we find is that in this people, it really was a practice that would yield itself to a sort of ancestry worship. And we see it pretty readily accepted among the Israel people later on. This is a pattern that you would see among the Chaldeans, the people out of from whom Israel was called. It was not to pattern the people of God. Whenever he calls them into the promised land, he says, in some way, you're not going to mourn the way that the world mourns. The way that you're going to mourn is going to be altogether different. Now what I want to focus on, we're going to look at each one of these as we discuss this practice pagan practice of mourning and, and the way that they would respond to death and the way that, that they're called to, to eat and some of these dietary restrictions. But the first area that we want to evaluate those is the way that we're chosen. We're, we're set apart. We're, we belong to God. We are supposed to look peculiar. Now this is difficult for us in the church, we, we mourn the loss of our loved ones, but we shouldn't do it as the world. 
Now, some of us know what I'm talking about. We've lost loved ones. And there's a great deal of confidence that we have if we know that they are born again believers in Christ. There's a level of comfort that we have. There's a level of rejoicing that we have. And yet, as I've seen in some of these instances, a helpless and a hopeless and an uncontrolled uh, mourning and an agony that's paired with such an experience. And we as Christians shouldn't pattern ourselves so hopelessly. Our very existence is a testimony to the goodness of God and the hope that is offered in Jesus Christ. This does not say that the people of God don't mourn. It is to say that we don't mourn like the world. So we ought to look different. When the world attends the funeral of the believer, they should see something markedly different among the people of God. So we won't behave this way. I think there's application in this. We don't mark ourselves after our dead. We don't offer ourselves and pattern ourselves after an identity that's inherently based on our heritage. No. Our identity is in that we are a people of the living God. All over the place, we're even rebuked not to pray for the dead, but for the living. We're the people of the living. Those that have passed on are alive as they've ever been. Our Savior is alive and well. We, we don't wait for that. And so there is a spiritual reality which we'll discuss more here in a bit. But we ought to look different. So we don't mourn like the world, but we don't eat like the world. Listen, in all of these dietary restrictions that we see, there is meat there that is good for food. And as we evaluate all of this, God even says in His Word, listen, this meat isn't, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing uh, inherently wrong with the meat. For when you have this animal that dies of itself, which is to say if it dies naturally, it's not been killed for the purpose of, of sacrifice or of eating, Don't eat of it. Give it to your neighbor. Sell it at the marketplace. It's still good meat. You don't have to waste that meat. But something about you and your practice ought to look different. There ought to be something about the way that we eat and the way that we govern ourselves that protects the sanctity of life. That would mind the seriousness of shedding blood that would recognize when we shed blood what what all this points to. The bottom line is, is it ought to look different. We don't just eat haphazardly. Now what's ironic in this is it would further express the sort of superstitious nature that A lot of the pagans would take from such laws as these or even the a lot of the way Israel would go. You see the way that they might interpret some of these laws whenever we would read something like thou shalt not see the kid in its mother's milk. 
Well, the Jew would interpret this in a superstitious way in order to say, well, we must not be able to eat our milk with our meat. Instead of understanding what God is portraying and protecting the sanctity of life or maybe the fruitfulness or, the, or valuable production, maybe not eating uh, uh, something that's young or, or, or still a baby and nursing something not even yet weaned that hasn't even, it isn't even uh, adequate in producing meat for us. No, they understand we can't eat our, uh, we can't uh, lather our meat in butter. It's not allowed to be used as sauce. Uh, you can't have the cheese on your burger anymore. That's true. This is the Jewish interpretation of, of this word. Well, it falls short. And yet what it does recognize is that it's undeniable that the people of God were markedly different when we sit down at the table, our observance of the meal is going to be far different than the way the people of the world are going to observe their meal. Now, I think this has some serious application. Even in the New Testament, God, uh, Paul rebukes some. He says, your stomach, your belly is your God. So often people are driven by the luxury of their meals. We give ourselves over to pickiness or excess. It's a sorry thing whenever the mealtime, whenever the Christian table within the Christian homes is reduced to how tasty the meal is and it no longer is viewed with great thankfulness for the provision God's given, for the plenty of the harvest that God has given, for the unity of the family God has given, so that our eating is no longer an act of worship. Does that have its application for us today? I think so. See, the Christian meal is much different than those who eat of the world. It is markedly different. So that now it is not us serving our bellies, but for us offering worship to our God. So many Christians are uh, negligent or absent or neglect even the idea of fasting. They don't know what it means to live on every word of the Father and not by bread alone. We are a chosen people. So we're going to be different. We're going to look separate from the world in these things. And I think such practical laws teach us this. But as we begin in verse 1, God in His Word says, you're children of the Lord. Now we shouldn't let that just pass off because it occurs so regularly in the text. Let's not neglect that, that you are adopted as children of God. And yet that's exactly what happened. Whenever Christ comes and He speaks to Himself, well, 
in a most peculiar way as the Son of God. They knew He was calling Himself equal with God, for He is one with God. And yet He teaches us as we taught our children in, in that time of discipleship to pray, Our Father. That is a revolutionary truth. Whenever we interpret the Word as God's plan of redemption. So not only do we stand apart as just different because we belong to God and we're separate from and above all the nations upon the earth, but we're His children. So now whenever we receive this command, it's not just something that's going to make you weird or different or something that's just God's set of rules in His classroom. But these are laws that are given as a caretaker of His people. So now we might evaluate these laws and these commands in the way that they serve a practical good for our clean practice. Surely we can recognize this. Surely we can see the practical good in not being so weighed down on this oppression of death. Don't we read with the psalmist, Oh, death, where is your sting? Sin, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? That's the Christian song. This is, this is for our practical good. We see how people are so reduced and so overcome by these unclean patterns of living, unclean patterns of worship and of mourning in this case. Frankly, you can look at our society and see what comes of a people who reject God. There's something good in our practice of not worshiping these things. If it is true, if Scripture is true, that we become like the idols we worship, well, it has its effect whenever we so come to worship or identify ourselves in the dead instead of the living. Whenever we don't heed the command to let the dead bury the dead. We don't pursue the ministry of the Savior who lives. It is a practical good for us. And yet when you look at our culture, we see a culture consumed with death. We have a culture who celebrates the day of the dead. And los muertes. We have cultures around us and Christians who avidly watch the walking dead. And we celebrate ideas of a zombie apocalypse. It's not Christian. We have people in our day who sadly and falsely call themselves Christian, who parade their freedom to murder their own children. Look at the effects of a fallen culture. 
There is a practical good in identifying ourselves in this ministry of life. In separating ourselves in this cold, from this culture of mourning. This people that, that relishes in death, what do they have? What heritage do they have? What children do they have? What legacy do they have? What they rejoice in is in their own judgment. You see, these commands come for our own good. When we look at the practical good of a clean diet, you can evaluate this. There is so much good in, in this text in prescribing for us how we ought to eat. Now, I had this conversation with a, a brother in Christ, and he told me as we loaded firewood together. He said, man, you'd be a machine if you ate like I eat. Huh. Well, what is it that you eat? Well, I eat what God prescribes in the Bible. Oh boy. I had become one who had written off a portion of God's Word. I said, well, where is your tunic with four tassels? And how come you've shaved the corners of your beard? And he said, listen, man, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I think it's healthy. I think God actually gave us something that was, it was just kind of good for us. It's good for us. That led to a long conversation. And, and friends, I, I want to tell you by way of another testimony that in the past year, I've seen my blood work do what I've had a numerous conventional doctors tell me was impossible with the help of one other doctor and some changes to diet and a few, few herbal supplements. Now I'm not saying there's not a usefulness to medicine. But again, what if we actually realize that God gave us so much for our good? He gave us so much for our good. You tell me when was it that the people of God were supposed to stop stewarding their bodies? They were supposed to stop having dominion at the dinner table and their diets and over all the creation. Frankly, it's my view that the Christian menu ought to be the best. Christian steaks taste better than unbeliever steaks because Christians know God has created all of this for your good. He's made this so that it's not just mundane. It's not for the filling of your bellies. It is for your enjoyment. And it is for a life abundant that He's given you every green thing good for food. And I have more spices in my cabinet than the unbeliever has in theirs. And I'm willing to put money on it if I was a gambling man. We're called to have dominion. And He gives us so much good and yet there's also practical restrictions. You don't see God prescribing for His people to eat meat that eats meat. So it's a, it's a good thing. My goodness, what would, what would the world have benefited if they saw that maybe we shouldn't have anything to do with eating bats? What would our, what if, what if our last five years have looked like? 
If we heed it, just a practical good, it's just good. It's God as our Heavenly Father actually caring for the good of His people. So there are practical good. There is a practical good for actually thinking about what we eat. But what we see in this has more than just a practical good. You see, he, he says that we're chosen. We're different than all the people. He says, you're, you're my children. I care for you in this command I give you. But you're a peculiar people. You're peculiar, set apart unto God Himself. You see, we serve God, a, we serve to God a peculiar purpose. We are sanctified. That means to be set apart, to be made, ho made holy, to be a cut above. So now we're not just different or weird to the outside world. We're not just receiving practical good. No, we're serving a purpose. You see, there's a spiritual benefit. There's a divine purpose in all that God has prescribed us in our command. You see, people, people have made the mistake in two different ways on this. People have come to allegorize this text and they don't see any spiritual good. And so they're lazy in their diets and they're frivolous in, in their practices and in their ritual. And they think that, well, it's just, it's, it's all just allegorized. It's all just spiritual. It's all just metaphor to us. And then there are those that said, oh, no, you need to, you need to eat this way and do these things or you need to follow this ritual practice. And we've got a couple different a couple of different camps of legalists or New Agers out there who are getting it wrong. Last time I checked, your body and soul, God has made you something miraculous in His image. And you can't separate the one from the other. You're not waiting for a time that the ugly old flesh falls off and your spirit is so beautiful. No, you are wicked and sinful and dead in your trespasses and sins. And when God makes you alive in Christ, it is body and soul, friends. He's going to change the way you live now and it's going to affect the way you will live in eternity. And so there are spiritual benefit to, of the undefiled. When we realize that our ministry is a ministry of life, friend, then we begin to experience what it means to live life abundantly. Whenever we're not patterned, when we don't pattern ourselves in this world merely after the material gain or, or what we might experience in this world, when we have our eye on eternity, then we'll live right in this world. Our fear is not that the world will end, for we know that's coming. Live in light of eternity. And you begin to experience the richness of God's blessing now. And so we don't have, we don't worship our ancestors like the Orients do. We have none of this. No, we worship and live in light this ministry of the living God who has given His Son who is resurrected from the dead. 
on what Paul says hinges the Christian life. And oddly enough, I argue to you this morning, there is a spiritual implication of a clean diet. When you realize that you are a vessel for God's honor, when you steward your body well and you realize, when you realize that, that seeking obedience and healthy living is of the utmost importance to your service in His kingdom. I've heard it said, and just to, if we were to say in a material or in, a, in just a very practical way, people realize, man, they wanted, they, they wanted to enjoy life with their children, and then they realize, I want to enjoy life with my grandchildren. They want to be present and intentional in all that they do. But I, wanna, I want to draw your mind to another thought you may or may not have considered before. As we discuss all of this dietary restriction, we might think of the way that we're exhorted in Matthew 15, 11, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. So in all of these things, it's not the catfish that makes the man unclean. It's not the rabbit that makes the man unclean. It's the rebellion of the man. It said that the Israelite who disregarded God's law was in rebellion to God's law. You see, it wasn't in the, in the fruit itself of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil that condemned the man. It was the rebellion of the man that caused him to fall to sin. It was his sin that condemned him. It was as John puts in his first epistle, it was the pride of possession, pride of life, or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In this circumstance, what I think that the rest of Scripture interprets for us is it's not the uncleanliness of the thing, it's the uncleanliness of the heart of the one who's, who's disobedient to God's law. This is why, friends, we can enjoy uh, a roasted rabbit or a fried catfish is because it's not any of those things that makes us unclean. He's already drawn us along to, to the way that God's law is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And now we understand that the law all along has been to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself, as your own body. We have that. We've received that in Christ Jesus. And now because of that, all things are clean to us. And yet, our obedience hasn't gone away. Our love and our service unto God, the way that we cherish His law, the way that we can recognize in a way that they could not, that God is our Father, that He's made us sons of God. To those who believe Him, He gave the right to be called children of God, born not of flesh nor the will of man, but of God.
Church, we're a peculiar people. We look different and our practices are different. And it's not because of any level of legalism. It's because of our love and our understanding of this good gospel. And there are so many ways which that does work its way out. It works its way out in the way that we set our dinner table. It ought to be a holy thing for us together with our families. We ought to have God's Word open at dinner time. And frankly, brothers, we, so, so we got some hunters in here. Christians don't cut the cape and leave the meat. Come hunting season. And yet how many of us know, know men who, who's done that? You see, we have made and defiled so much that's ordinary in our midst, and yet God has said all of this is made clean to you that you might glorify me. He's made it all holy that we might be holy. So let's not dismiss what's mundane among us. No, it's anything but. Let's take this freedom that God has given us and use it for His glory so that no one who comes around us will see this is set apart. The way that you hunt is different than the way that I hunt. The way that you take a life to butcher these rabbits for the dinner table, it's, there's, you hold it in high regard. The way you garden is different than the way that, that the unbeliever gardens. For you know the increase comes from God. Your sustenance comes from Him. Not in the fact that those green beans produce late. Everything for us is different because we have a living God. That is whom we serve. And we are bringing all things, all things under this dominion. He said, all authority has been given to me on earth, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so let us be that sort of people that seeks that peculiarity. Isn't it okay for us to be weird? I heard one brother say that this morning. It's okay. It's a good thing. You can look a little weird. We're called to be a peculiar people. Heavenly Father, we leave ourselves to you that we might be peculiar. Lord, that we would submit all that we do. We would submit our ritual and our practice, our mourning and our rejoicing to you. That we would submit our diets and our tables to you. God, that we would set these things apart as holy. That we would learn to worship you with all that we are and all that we do. Lord, we thank you for the way in which you fulfilled this law where we are no longer restricted and yet, thankfully, still regulated by your word. So, Father, we ask that you open these scriptures to us that we might see how we could pattern our lives to better glorify you, that we might allow unbelievers around us to see this and, and, and be in awe with the way that that we're set apart unto you with the dominion that we have for your glory. And God, we pray that we would no longer skim over these tasks or 
texts or scorn, scorn a, a portion of your word, but that we would see all scripture as useful for our teaching, direction, reproof, and training in righteousness. Lord, we love your word. We love you as you have called us out from among the people of the world, the way that you have set yourself over us as our father and our caretaker in the way that you pattern our living sanctified unto you for all of life and through a life eternal. Lord, we say all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching. We hope that you join us next week for more in this study in Deuteronomy on God's people.